for a leader from the next generation. Larry Harris Jr. He became the CEO at the age of 21. There is a urge to drive, serve, help, and this commodity is drawn me into this idealism, this commitment to service. What up? It's your boy Larry Harris Jr., a.k.a. Black Bobby. I'm back with the second segment this week on the accuracy. Um, we're going to be talking about Mayor Bloomberg's candidacy for the presidency, seeing that that's starting to heat up and there's been some pretty controversial issues surrounding that. going to do an interview with Reverend Conrad Tillard, um, who uh, is a radio host in New York City of WHCR uh, 90.3 FM radio. Um, you know, the reason why I'm talking to him, uh, aside from his leadership in the black community um, and activism politically generally, and also activism in hip hop, uh, is that he was one of the first people, the first black people in New York City to endorse Bloomberg for mayor. Uh, and that now he is against uh, Mayor Bloomberg's candidacy for president. Um, and I'm gonna talk to him about why. Uh, he, may, he had a post on Facebook I found very interesting. And I thought I should share it with you guys. So. You know, some things you should know about uh, Reverend Tillard is that uh, he was a member of the Nation of Islam at 19. Um, he was also, um, I think he went to Middlebury College undergrad, grew up in Washington, D.C., uh, moved to, uh, transferred from Middlebury to University of Pennsylvania, uh, where he was elected president of the Black Students Union. Uh, then he was elected citywide president of the Black Students uh, Unions in Philadelphia, which is amazing. Uh, I wish they had something like that in Boston. I don't remember that anyway. Uh, being a part of our um, collegiate kind of framework. Um, as a member of the Nation of Islam, he rose to prominence in the organization um, and up until the point where he left um, and, and eventually became a Christian uh, minister and now is a reverend, um, you know, I think most recently at uh, Nazarene, let me just make sure I get the name right. Uh, yeah, Nazarene Congress Congregational United Church of Christ in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Biggie's home. Uh, so, you know, this is a person who has, uh, you know, a lot of information to share. He has worked to, uh, you know, clean up the image of hip hop, which is something that I've been very much interested in, at least, you know, putting more positive images out front and in the mainstream, you know, whereas not all the images that we currently have in hip hop are positive, um, or even the majority or even close, um, as well as uh, working on black issues, in New York, in Philadelphia, um, all up, up and down the East Coast, um, as well as having, you know, just hip hop summits um, with um, actual, uh, you know, big stars in hip hop like Tupac, Biggie, etc. Um, you know, he worked on, um, you know, different issues across the, the lines uh, up and down, um, you know, in the black community, etc. So I'm going to give him a call right now. Let's get him on the phone um, and we'll see if we can talk to him. All right, it's your boy Larry Harris Jr., a.k.a. Black Bobby. Welcome back to The Accuracy. We're here with Reverend Tillard from New York City. Like I told you, he's a radio host for WHCR 90.3. Uh, has a show called Conversations with Conrad. Um, and I told you also that I saw his post on Facebook about Mayor Bloomberg's candidacy for the presidency and wanted to talk to him. So we have him here today. Welcome, Conrad, to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Let me just add that I'm on WHCR uh, 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Let me add that that's our that's our station tagline. I'm, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. I appreciate it very much. Lest anyone be confused, I'm <laughs> from an up 
and we do love uptown uh you know harlem world all day um yes sir so let me uh let me just jump in here i you know, Reverend Tillard, you have a lot of experience with uh, Mayor Bloomberg. You were one of the first black people in New York to endorse his candidacy for mayor. Um, you know, one of the things I noticed about him early when people told me that he had been registered as a Republican uh, or, or was running as a Republican, I'm sorry, in New York, even though he had previously been a Democrat, is that he's the kind of person that's a little bit strategic and takes the path of least resistance. And some have argued, you know, because of the money he's spending now, the self-financing, that he should probably run as a Republican instead of a Democrat. But how did people take that in New York when he ran as a Republican and spent, I know on his third campaign, it was $100 million, probably combined almost $300 million on the three mayoral races. How do people feel about that? Right, and I'll come back to that third campaign because that was also a very significant sort of violation and disregard for the will of the people. Well, first let me say that Mike Bloomberg was a Democrat like most people in New York. I mean, uh, the only Republicans uh, that New York had, of course, were Rockefeller Republicans and uh, for the most part, uh, everybody who uh, lives in New York, particularly in those days, was a Republican, those who aspired uh, to politics, certainly. But uh, a unique thing happened. Uh, uh, we elected our first black mayor in 1990, David Dinkins. And people forget, you know, and uh, one of the things that Donald Trump is a reminder of is that New York is not just enlightened people. It's not just Manhattan. It's not the Upper East Side alone, Soho, Upper West Side, Greenwich Village. It's also Queens. It's also uh, Brooklyn, Outerboro, Queens, Outerboro, Brooklyn, Outerboro, Staten Island. And so after the first African-American mayor uh, was elected in 1990, David Dinkins, uh, that strong undercurrent of ethnic racism surged in New York. And it ultimately produced, after the first term of Mayor David Dinkins, a, a backlash in the form of Rudolph Giuliani. And Giuliani uh, led essentially all but a, a riot that had Mayor Dinkins locked into his office uh, with police officers and anti-Dinkins folks, uh, you know, toward the, the climax of their first election. And of course, Giuliani prevailed in that race. So. What Giuliani did, of course, he ran as a Republican. He had been a Republican. He was a Reagan appointee. Uh, it created a lane. Uh, uh, the, the Republican had just been elected mayor of New York, and after he served his two terms, Mike Bloomberg, uh, not particularly ideological, seized upon that opportunity. He knew that he couldn't get the Democratic nomination, and so he uh, ran on the Republican line, and it was a lane that had been uh, left by Giuliani, and, and he felt it. So people were initially very skeptical. Uh, you know, people in our community are very skeptical of Republicans. But uh, Bloomberg had uh, faith on his side that year because the Democrats basically elected, uh, again, uh, someone that comes out of an ethnic sort of undercurrent uh Democrats like Ed Koch, who've always had an antagonistic relationship with black people here in New York. Yeah. And they, the Democrats elected Mark Green, and Mark Green was in a very, very uh, a tight-pitched battle uh, with uh, Fernando Ferrer, I, uh, a Latino brother. I remember and, uh, very well. Of course, what's that? I yeah. remember Fernando Ferrer very well, yes. Yes. So in the, in the heat of that battle and to prevail... Uh, Mark Green played a 
played some very racist cards, uh, one of which uh, was a, a, a cartoon or drawing that was circulated in ethnic uh, New York, uh, white ethnic New York, where uh, basically um, he, he showed uh, Freddie Ferrer uh, uh, holding up and kissing the rear end of a then rotund Reverend Al Sharpton. Oh, wow. And of course, the black community uh, was outraged, the Latino community was outraged, uh, and of course, uh, Mark Green did a number of things that showed that he was really tone deaf. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, he could not connect with the African American community. Bloomberg was supported heavily by Rudolph Giuliani. He even appeared in ethnic uh, gatherings, white ethnic gatherings in the outer boroughs saying, we don't want to go backwards. We don't want to go back to a time of darkness and, you know, real racist canards and stereotypes. And uh, uh, we didn't know. Now, the issue with Bloomberg was this. Mark Green had so offended the African-American community, and we did not know Bloomberg. Now, after battling Rudolph Giuliani for eight years, so after battling Giuliani for eight years, uh, we were, we were, you know, we were in a very strange position in New York, and that was, you had Mark Green on one hand, who was antagonistic and sort of very arrogant and appeared to think that we had nowhere to go. And then here comes uh, Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg was affable. Uh, Mike, Mike Bloomberg was apparently mild-mannered. Uh, he, he was moderate in his approach. And he was very careful to reach out uh, to the right uh, African-American community and a very strong committed group of young black professionals at uh, Bloomberg uh, that worked with him. And at the time, I had one of the most important political shows uh, in New York, uh, conversation uh, Sunday Night Live on one WBLS, station owned by Percy Ellis Sutton. And so uh, we began to talk and, in fact, came on my show several times. And, you know, I challenged him with some of the issues that we did know about him. He had been a member of an all- white country club and, you know, some other things, and we knew it, but he, 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 he came and he talked to us, and that was quite different than what we had experienced uh, under eight years with Giuliani, which he essentially had a no-engagement policy with black leaders, and I must say, um, when I endorsed Mike Bloomberg, um, you know, I did so because Mark Green was, was, was just not palpable to me. He had uh, his attitude, his his arrogance, uh, and so we really were in a position where we had to give this guy a chance. I took a chance. You know, I've always had a view in politics that no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. I tried to get the Republican line to run against Charles Rangel back in 20, uh, 2002 when I felt that he was uh, essentially allowing gentrification to take place. Of course, that has manifested itself, and he since gave up uh, the one black congressional seat we had in New York that had been 84 years of contiguous black leadership. He lost that, holding on to it too long. And so I'm not big on labels. I think that as African-Americans, we got to be in all places. And so I was worried. I took a risk with Bloomberg. And, and quite honestly, uh, David uh, Dinkins, Percy Sutton, Basil Patterson, Charles Rangel, 
you know, the four horsemen, as they called them, Mr. Sutton owned the station, and they were big Democrats. And I just knew the day I endorsed Bloomberg that I was going to be fired. Uh, but I was not fired, miraculously. And Mr. Sutton talked to me, and, and I explained to him my reasoning. And, you know, to my great surprise, not only did I not get fired, but soon, uh, you know, which was a sea change, uh, WBLS, WLIB, and our inner city broadcasting corporation got behind Mike Bloomberg. Now, Charlton did not endorse him, but Black Radio did, because soon after we uh, jumped on, on board and began to push him, then our friends at KISS FM, our friends and competitors, our brother M. Toomey, Bob Slade, Judge Pickett, uh, Peter Noel, they began to support him. And so we, we Black Radio really put Bloomberg over the top. And okay. so I will say, and it's important to say, that uh, the current Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams, uh, was was a very strong uh, clarion warner. And, and he warned us that it would not be good to go with Bloomberg. And I think he was, he was partly right. Uh, he was right in the sense that we did not understand and we did not comprehend just how indifferent and fully unprepared Michael Bloomberg was to be a mayor over a city of 8 million people uh, that is not simply made up of the financial services and the financial uh, institutions, but it's a city of working class people, it's a city of laborers, it's a city of school teachers, social workers, cops, firefighters, uh, it is, uh, yes, of course, it's a city of Wall Street, but it's also a city of Broadway. Theater uh, workers and actors, aspiring actors, and people who have come here to contribute to life in the arts. And uh, I will just say, small businesses, mom and pop shops, and very unique small businesses New York has historically been known for. And I will tell you that after... Uh, 12 years of Mike Bloomberg, uh, New York is essentially a uh, high-rent ghetto. Uh, it is a community now uh, that is geared toward uh, foreign investment, the super rich. Uh, if you are uh, rich in New York City, you live as a middle-class person. If you're a middle-class person, you live as a poor person. And if you're poor, you basically live, you're, you're, you're sentenced to uh, crumbling infrastructure in public housing or living in the subway or homeless shelters. Wow. Uh, uh, businesses are completely uh, going out of business, uh, independently owned mom and pop shops. Uh, when Bloomberg set the sort of real estate boom uh, afire, uh, people who owned businesses that were paying $5,000 a month when their lease ended, uh, landlords were going up to 60000 from five to 60000 I mean, exponential rent increases. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and, you know, the list goes on and on and on of the very terrible sins and ills that uh, this uh, billionaire, this, 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 this uh, media uh, mogul uh, committed against New York City, and he's essentially gutted the soul of New York City that it in no way resembles the city that it did uh, before Mike Bloomberg 
uh, was elected. And, and, and that's not good because you have actors and actresses and theater people who live in Philadelphia and, and the Poconos who are commuting. You have firefighters and police officers who live in Long Island, New Jersey, and the Poconos. People can't afford the historic African-American communities such as Harlem, Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brownsville have been essentially decimated. Now, I remember, Historically, I remember when class, uh, white community. What's that? I'm sorry. I I remember when people started moving out of the city and they started moving to outer boroughs and also like Newark, Jersey City, etc. And, and it sounds like what yeah, you're saying is they're going even further. Even my brother, for example, is an actor and he lives in Philly and commutes to New York when he has a show in New York. And one thing I wanted to cover because you brought up Giuliani. Yeah. You brought up Giuliani, and that's very interesting. So, you know, a lot of people have heard of Comstat. Uh, you know, New York City was a petri dish for Comstat that got replicated in places like Baltimore and other places. The crime, uh, you know, statistical analysis, uh, you know, uh, framework that they used in New York that was under Giuliani. Did did Bloomberg say anything about maintaining that? Because I know that became stop and frisk in New York. Um, was is just kind of an extension off of, of Comstat. Did he, did he talk anything about Comstat and his feelings about that when he was running? Well, you know, Bloomberg presented himself as a moderate. Yeah. And, of course, uh, what you have to remember is that uh, when he was elected, uh, crime had been going down in America. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Know, Bloomberg did not come in during the crack era. The crime, crime had been going down since about 1995 or 1996. Exactly, and for reasons so that, was, that we don't fully understand, right? Well, we don't understand that. Uh, we don't fully understand. I mean, there are many uh, uh, community-based groups who have been working to reduce crime. Uh, we have locked up those wholesale sort of incarceration, mass incarceration. So there are a number of reasons why crime was going down. Yep. So when Bloomberg came in, uh, you know, he, he, he talked uh, in terms of, you know, we had come accustomed to Comstat at that point. Uh, and I have to even say, as, as antagonistic as the relationship was between Rudy Giuliani and the African-American community, uh, what, what Bloomberg did uh, essentially was stop and frisk and it's perfectly outlined in the tape uh, from the Aspen Institute now that is just uh, circulating. And this is not something he said in 2000 or 2001. This is something he said in 2015. That essentially, uh, basically, you know, you can just Xerox the, uh, uh, the, the description of, of a criminal and send it to all the police uh, uh, precincts in the country, and he targeted stop and frisk at African-Americans, uh, throw them up against the wall, all the crime is in the black community. Uh, and so what he did essentially made Rudolph Giuliani's reign of terror seem like child's play. Yeah. And that's what worries me so much about him uh, and this, this sort of false uh, uh, rise in the polls in terms of African-American communities. I think the media has been talking up Bloomberg in the last few days. But Absolutely. Essentially, what worries me is that as bad as Trump's policies are, Trump is essentially uh, an amateur. He lacks political skills. And so he's constantly scrutinized under the radar. 
Uh, he makes mistakes and gaffes every day. He overextends, overreaches. You'll not, you'll not have any of that with Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg is seasoned. Uh, he's skillful. Uh, he appears moderate, and so it will. He will cut you. You'll die from a thousand deaths, and you won't even realize you're bleeding. And I think that's the danger. Uh, of a Bloomberg administration. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention, I don't think he can get elected, but for those who have somehow bought this notion uh, that Mayor Bloomberg is an alternative to Donald Trump, in fact, I would even argue that he may be an even more dangerous uh, president than Donald Trump. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. I agree with you that I, uh, it's going to be very a very tall order for him to get elected nationally in, in a general election. Uh, I don't I actually don't believe many candidates have a chance of beating the incumbent. But with him, you know, I think one of the things is that, you know, I keep hearing these Georgia black leaders because after uh, a few of them endorsed him uh, and some others are thinking about it, people are going on the radio and saying, you know, well, he, he apologized. Uh, and they say, well, the apology has to express contrition and it has to uh, you know, be followed by changed action. Well, I've heard him talk about you know, what he did under stop and frisk, you know, I've heard him apologize. You know, he sounds kind of like a, like he's almost constipated when he's talking about it. Like it doesn't sound like a very easy thing for him to talk about. Um, I don't hear much contrition. And then the other thing is that, you know, what action has he taken to change uh, or to rectify or ameliorate the situation that he created with stop and frisk? Like per personally, uh, I know that I shouldn't say this because I do not support Donald Trump, but if I were Trump, who, who already went on Twitter and called him a racist, I would pull out every stop and frisk uh, victim in New York City and hand him a check straight from my own uh, pocketbook and, and make Bloomberg look real small and petty uh, and, and force him to, to keep on apologizing. So one of the things I wanted to say, though, is that, you know, things like stop and frisk, um, you know, people forget also there was a lot of controversy in New York when uh, the mayor raised taxes on cigarettes or he banned big gulps. But one of the things I think Democrats are ignoring is his love for charter schools. And they increased uh, the number of charter schools in New York over his time um, from about 3,000 students were in charter schools when he started, and then 60,000 students were in charter schools by the time he, he uh, finished. Now, I, I, I'm not one way or the other on charter schools necessarily, but I know Democrats do not like that anymore. Um, and the amount of money that was being spent in New York City climbed every year. I mean, it's just, it seems like maybe people don't um, necessarily know his record on education and haven't really dug well, into the, the background of what he did in New York. Well, they don't know anything about them. That's why it's very tragic and it's, it's, it's really shameful that uh, politicians in Georgia would be talking about Bloomberg when they don't know anything about him. Yes. And unfortunately, I think it's the most absurd thing in the world in the, in the context of a political election to be talking about somebody uh, in, in need of redemption. I mean, let's, let's get... Let's, Let's get our discipline straight, okay? The man is not uh, seeking absolution. He's not giving his life to the Lord Jesus Christ to be forgiven. He's not. We're not at the synagogue or at the church or yeah. the mosque. Yeah. We're talking about man running for president. Exactly. So if as late as 2015, he was still making these kinds of statements, and he only apologized for stuff until shortly before he announced the run for the presidency, then we know this is disingenuous. And yes. So, uh, what I would say to the politicians in Georgia uh, is that, listen, you know, you've got a lot of black media types, black political figures, 
when you pass laws like people can't get a, a large soda in a movie theater in New York City or they can't have butter on their popcorn or they can't have guns, uh, when people around the country hear what kind of nanny state that he ran in New York, and he, he, believe me, this is not going in. First of all, he has the charisma of a of a, a bank teller. Uh, secondly, uh, his he's not even married. I mean, I mean, let's face it: uh, the American people are not going to elect a bachelor to sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. So, a lot of this is the media. The media likes a Bloomberg Trump race. The media wants the, the ad buys that will inevitably come with, with, with this. Uh, he has a seemingly unlimited checkbook. And so they like this now. Plus, the, the media is very New York-centric. And yeah, uh, yeah. They, they'd love to see a Trump-Bloomberg uh, uh, contest. But, of course, the American people are not New York-centric. And in fact, they rightfully uh, have a great deal of at least uh, uh, reserve about New York, and some, in some cases, a justifiable disdain for it. And so this is a lot of New York inside baseball, a lot of elitist inside baseball. This is, a, this, this is truly a pipe dream. Mike, Mike Bloomberg uh, is not, first of all, half the country, he's at odds with half the country, the red states, over his gun policies. And yeah. if I lived in Virginia, if I lived in, in Tennessee, or if I lived in Alabama, and you know he's a big city mayor in New York with illegal guns on his street, uh, and he wants to take my gun away that I hunt with, uh, I would be outraged too. And so, again, uh, I think a lot of this is the media. I don't know where it came from. I, you know, I I, I believe uh, my belief is that the one thing that the impeachment drama did uh, did successfully do was basically kill the campaign of Joe Biden. Yes, uh, yeah, I was absolutely. against impeachment because I felt the Democrats did not have enough. Uh, I felt that it was a waste of time. It was too close to the election. Uh, and I think the biggest uh, legacy of the impeachment is basically, you know, to hear Joe Biden and his son's name bandied about uh, for weeks on end about corruption or at least what appears to be corruption uh, I think the one thing it did was it, it didn't hurt Trump, but it certainly hurt uh, Joe Biden. Absolutely. And so I think there's also a great fear of Bernie Sanders as well. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think the media, uh, the Wall Street bankers, and you know the Democrats, you know, you know there's not a whole lot. Mike Bloomberg is sort of a, a perfect metaphor for what the establishment Democrat Party has become. Yeah. Liberal socially, I mean, you know. And fiscally conservative. Uh, Exactly. And it's just more of the same mess. Uh, and I, I would hope that the Democrat Party, for the loyalty that African Americans have given, understanding that we are their most loyal constituents. Absolutely. I hope they would not put forth a candidate that just a few years ago was defending redlining, defending stop and frisk. I mean, Khalif Browder, one of the most tragic uh, examples of stop and frisk, and there were many. Uh, the uh, the killing of, of Ramarley Graham, and you know, people forget as we were all touched recently with the uh, Ava DuVernay uh, uh, program of the Central Park Five. Yes. Uh, 
prevent those boys from getting a settlement. Yeah, I did hear about that actually. I, I did hear about that. I did hear about that actually, but I'm sure many people have forgotten. Oh, for tooth and nail. In fact, it was only De Blasio that came. They never got uh, their just compensation recompense during Bloomberg. He fought that. Yeah. That this was a decision he made not to settle with them. Yep. And of course, De Blasio came right in and righted that wrong. So. Uh, when people began to know Mike Bloomberg, <clears throat> believe me, those uh, uh, Georgia politicians um, will will change their tune if they have any integrity at all. And if they don't, uh, then they're, they're certainly going down, uh, the Democrats are going down an ignominious defeat I hear as you. they did in, in 2016. So one thing, I'm glad you brought up, uh, first of all, the image of a trucker in Alabama or you know, a brother that loves to go get a big gulp from the the, the quick trip here in Georgia. You know, the the image of them finding out the bit that that Bloomberg banned big gulp big gulps is hilarious to me. Uh, also, I'm glad you brought up the yeah, I'm glad you brought up the personality because you know a lot of people don't know that he's an engineer, uh, and I don't know if you've ever spent a lot of time around engineers, but they're not the most personable people uh, necessarily. Not definitely not charismatic enough to be uh, on a national stage running for president necessarily. Uh, but I did want to say, you know, uh, one of the things that I also realized about Bloomberg and, and, and heard in quotes, he's you know, defending redlining and defending some of the banking practices that led to the theft of black wealth uh, by Wall Street. I just wanted to close on this. You know, people don't know that, uh, you know, the banks, uh, m way more than the actual people that took out those mortgages, were responsible for what climbed into a worldwide banking crisis by taking those loans, chopping them up into pieces, giving them A ratings through the credit system, uh, selling them to other banks all around the world, and then taking trillion dollar bailouts and loans uh, from the Fed in order to uh, do some of the same stuff. So when people are considering you know, Bloomberg, do remember everything that Reverend Tillard uh, said today, but also consider that this is a person that made his money on Wall Street in the banking industry and very much has a, a, a uh, protective uh, kind of nature around Wall Street and express it in those comments about the theft of black wealth uh, through the banking crisis. Reverend Tillard, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today. You gave me so much uh, information to work with. I hope my uh, viewers and listeners appreciate it. Uh, and we should uh, we should link up sometime and talk about, uh, you know, the amelioration of hip hop. It's one of the things I very, am very passionate about and got into the genre to do, you know, all my music first of all, does not demean women, um, has very few cuss words comparatively, and is not uh, about anything really um, entirely salacious. Uh, you know, I'm a you know middle-class polo kid from DC, so you know, okay. I, I rap about my well, life. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and uh, I look forward to doing that. Uh, yeah, look to the light, because that's what's happening today. We've got a lot of darkness, and we need people who can lift up the light, because that's what's enduring. Absolutely, sir. I appreciate it very much, Reverend Tillard. Thank you. God bless you, my friend. You too. Peace. Peace. All right, guys. That was Reverend Tillard. I hope you enjoyed that. I know it was a little long, but uh, he had a lot to say, and it was very important that I let him say what he wanted to say about the mayor uh, who's running for president. I hope you will consider everything you heard today, along with the information I peppered in. Um, anyway, 
Once again, it's your boy Larry Harris Jr., a.k.a. Black Bobby. This is The Accuracy. Uh, I hope you uh, tune in whenever I drop uh, episodes of The Accuracy, which for now are infrequent, but will be on a regular schedule as soon as I get that a little bit more together. Anyway, I hope you appreciate it. Enjoy the next ones. Uh, check out the one on Medicare for All um, and single-payer healthcare that I did also today. Uh, and peace.